Amen. I'm going to go right into the word and then I'm going to explain what I'm going to do today. Um, Jeremiah 44 and 9. Jeremiah 44 and 9. Going into some Old Testament today uh, and then into the new. Jeremiah, the 44th chapter, the 9th and the 10th verse. Amen. 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 Jeremiah 44, 9 and 10. When you have it, say amen. All right, the word of God reads, Have ye forgotten the wickedness of your fathers and the wickedness of the kings of Judah and the wickedness of their wives and your own wickedness and the wickedness of your wives? which they have committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Key verse. They are not humbled even unto this day. Neither have they feared, nor walked in my law, nor in my statutes that I have set before you and your fathers. They are not humbled, verse 10 says, even unto this day. Neither have they feared, nor walked in my law, nor in my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. The Lord is basically telling his people, I told you the way. I told you what I require of you. I said it to your mama. <laughs> I said it to your daddy. You and your wives. <laughs> the king's wives, you know, the, the politicians' wives, you know, the, the officials and all the uppity people. All of them and their wives. And then the regular folks, you know, the common folks, the you know, the people that are not officials. Everybody knows what I said. You and your wives have not walked in my way. You have not humbled yourself. Even unto this day. Wow. I'm going to speak to you today from the title, Real Repentance. Real Repentance. My God. My God, help us today, Lord. And we are in the midst of consecration, and we are praying for revival. And we've got 120 days that we are going through our prayer packet where we are praying through the Word of God. And we're being led through the Scriptures. And this passage of Scripture that I just read was um, on the day of February 1st. And what it basically said in that uh, passage um, and how they kind of expounded on this, very interesting, um, basically saying you don't just start a revival in your own energy. You don't just start a revival in your own efforts. You don't just think, you know what, I think we're going to have a revival. You know, 
you need to seek the Lord before you start. And one of the things that is common that we're seeing over and over again um, in the revival, there's a certain scripture, and we'll get to it at the very end, but is that the Lord starts a revival by sharpening his tools first. The tools that belong to him first. For example, let me expound, just to give you a little example of this. We've seen it over and over again. We go to some public place, some restaurant, some airline, some whatever, and we see a mother, a father, or some parents, whether they're single or married, and we see their children, and we notice that their children are completely and totally out of control. They're behaving badly. And these thoughts begin to come to our mind, uh, things that we would do if we had our way with those kids. Amen? Our minds drift into solutions that seem to be so much better than what we are seeing these parents do. In fact, you know, there are times when the Hawkins family has gone on little trips, you know, we go into the Bible being whatever have you, and we get on the plane one by one, and we have, you know, Sister Hawkins has everybody line up, you know, from the oldest to the youngest or the youngest to the oldest, however we do it, and everybody's decently in order, and everybody's kind of filed in in line, and there's an order how we get into the plane, and you should see the look on the people's faces. They go, they have six. I knew I should have took that other flight. They get concerned. You know, after a while, you know, when the, the plane is, you know, landing, they go, wow. That's amazing what you've done with your children. All glory to be to God. You know, but they notice those things. Amen. And so, you know, but when we see children that are out of control, you know, before you know it, we start having condescending thoughts about the parents and their parenting style. Now, the interesting thing is it's very easy for us to compare ourselves to everyone else. But I wonder what God thinks about our parenting style. I wonder what God thinks about how we are doing right now with our children or how we did. How are your children now? How did your children turn out? The truth of the matter is if we were to bash our standard up against God's standard, we would come to a place where we'd be very, very humbled. Amen? Because it's easy to look at somebody else's situation, you know, and make, you know, decisions about how well they're doing. Well, it's easy for believers to look at the world and see all kinds of wrong and not be able to see ourselves. Uh, But when God starts a revival, saints, he starts with his own kids. He starts with his own church. And the church must be brought to a place of humility and submission where we obey God's word from the heart. Amen? Which means there are some things that we're going to have to get right, saints, who've been saved forever. Now, I'm not talking about getting right with God in your position as far as salvation and what God has done. I'm talking about the fact that, yes, you are saved, and even after salvation, Christians still sin. So what believers must understand is that before God gets busy fixing the world, he's going to start by fixing you and me first. So while we're looking at this world, we need revival. God's looking at you. (laughs) Amen. 
We are holy, and we are holy, and we are to be holy because God is holy. That's what the scripture says. So holy revival starts with repentance of his church first, and that repentance must be real repentance. All right, so Jeremiah 44 and 10, again, there it is, good. They are not humble, even unto this day, neither have they feared nor walked in my law, nor in my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. Let me give you a little breakdown of what's happening here with this statement that Jeremiah is making to the Israelites. Here's a brief history of Israel's disastrous capture into the kingdom of Babylon because of their sin. Amen? But Jeremiah gives a prophecy that says after 70 years, they will be able to return home again. Amen? And God moves the heart of a pagan king, someone that's not even one of his people. This man is by the name of Cyrus. Some people know and have read the story. And Cyrus, this pagan king, allows the Jews, even though they're still under his rule, to go back and return to Jerusalem and rebuild the ruined temple. Amen? So during that time, Jeremiah makes this promise, a prophecy rather, about a future event. He says, eventually after 70 years, you will go back and you will rebuild. And we know this scripture. Amen? We, know, we love to quote this scripture. Now, I'm going to give it to you a different translation just so you kind of don't, you know, take it for granted. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 10, 11. This is what Jeremiah says years before they go back and, and rebuild the temple under the reign and the uh, captivity of now Persia and Cyrus the king. Amen? This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you. Everybody knows this, right? Says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Now, watch this. And we quote that all the time. However, the history goes like this. Because they sinned against the Lord, they do return home and begin to start the rebuilding process. But the rebuilding process is now coming with certain consequences. Amen? They're rebuilding with less people. Amen? A fraction of the people that they had before are no longer with them. Amen? They are building with less resources. They were loaded with cash, loaded with gold, all kinds of wealth that David had set up for for Solomon. Remember? You know, cedar trees from Lebanon, all kinds of things that that were were there before, and now they're not there. Amen? So you, 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 Solomon built a mansion. Y'all about to build an apartment. The temple is not going to be the same. All right? Before the sin, amen, they were dealing with a lot, of more, a lot more resources and during the glory days of Solomon. But this time, on top of that, now that they're under captivity of Persia, they are building in times of opposition. Ooh, ooh Holy Spirit. 
Not in times of peace during like Solomon's reign. Amen? It's much harder this time. And they even got haters named Sam Ballot and Tobiah, I believe their names are. Right? Am I right about that, Rick? People don't want to stop the work. Now, you would think that after they have received this opportunity to go back and rebuild, they would have learned their lesson. After Cyrus allows the people, go back and rebuild your temple. It's all good. Praise your God. You know, here's the thing. Ezra had not been in Jerusalem very long when some of the leaders approached him during the building process with very disturbing news, wake up, that the rulers and the people were intermarrying into the heathen nations. And Ezra was so upset about it, he plunged himself in the deep mourning until the evening sacrifice with robe torn and patches, you know, of his hair missing. And he's in deep mourning, taking pieces of the hair out of his beard. He's mourning and he's in silence and he sat there until the evening sacrifice until eventually a bunch of people gathered around him. What are you so upset about? Well, we in sin. God has brought us through 70 years. There's a remnant of people we get over here with about this much freedom, and we can't handle it. And we start messing around with folks we ain't supposed to mess around with. And this is what it says. This is what he says to them. Ezra 9 and 7. Let's go, nine through, uh, let's go 7 through 10. Ezra 9, 7 through 10. Ezra 9, 7 through 10. I'm going to go. Just listen. <laughs> From the days of our ancestors until now, we have been steeped in sin. This is what Ezra is saying to the people. That is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of the pagan kings of the land. We have been killed, captured, robbed, and disgraced just as we are today. But now we have been given a brief moment of grace. Say a brief moment of grace. For the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. He has given us security in this holy place. Our God has brightened our eyes and granted us some relief from our, save, our slavery. For we were slaves... But in, this un- but in this unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Instead, he caused the kings of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us so we could rebuild the temple of our God and repair its ruins. He has given us a protective wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. I'm going to break all this down a little bit. And now our God, (laughs) oh, our God, what can we say after all this? For once again, we have abandoned your commands. Your servants, the prophets, warned us when they said, the land you are entering to possess is totally defiled by the detestable practices of the people living there. From one end to the other, the land is filled with corruptions. So because of that, here's the law. Here's the command. Don't let your daughters marry their sons. 
Don't take their daughters as wives for your sons. You see it? Don't even or ever promote the, pre- the peace and prosperity of these other nations. They're not people of God. That's what he's saying. If you follow these instructions, you will be strong and will enjoy the good things that the land produces. And you will leave this prosperity to your children. So back up. They get a little bit of break from slavery. I'm going to give you all some freedom. I'm going to let this pagan king that don't even know me allow you to go back and rebuild the temple. And when they get there, they start the process. And before you know it, they fall right back into sin. And the sin is about intermarrying into foreign nations that do not serve God. There's an old song that we used to sing back in the day that says, My heart is fixed. Stop. The first line is what do you need to get your mind on. My heart is fixed. Are you seeing what I'm saying? My heart is fixed. My mind is made up. My heart is fixed. I'm going to do what the Lord say do. Do not intermingle, intermarry into these other nations. Now, let me give you an example of what you're talking about. Because, Pastor, I don't go around marrying people that ain't saved. I don't do that. If I did it before, I didn't know. I didn't know. We both wasn't saved. One of us got saved, and then later on, you know, he, she's still a mess, or he's still a mess. Not, not, that's not what you're talking about. Let me bring this to... you know, where we are right now. And let me just use myself since everybody else in here is better. (laughs) I remember years ago, because everybody's talking about the Grammys now. I remember years ago, and I've been, I went to the Grammys. I've been there maybe about two or three times. I can't remember exactly how many times I've been, but I've been there two or three times, and I was performing with some of the people and some of the artists that I used to work for. But I was sitting backstage one year, before the performance, and I just couldn't get comfortable. I'll never forget it. I didn't have any peace. And there was a part of me that wanted the fame, that wanted the recognition. I wanted somebody to know, you know what? Jamie Hawkins is talented. (laughs) That boy can sing, play, whatever. I I just wanted that. Can I be honest with you? Anybody ever been there? (laughs) Just want somebody to think you're cute. So I wanted the recognition. I wanted to have what these superstars that I was working for was having. You know, and, and you know, I, I, but I couldn't rest in it. I was divided in my soul. Even though, watch this, saints. Talk about, talk about the hand of God and the plan of God. Even though I wasn't saved then, I was still marked. That's for some of these people that are, that are concerned about some of these young folks. They ain't saved yet, but they might be marked. Just give a minute. Okay? So I couldn't get comfortable. Why? Because I had one foot in the truth that I was taught and that I knew, and another foot in the worldly desires that were right at my fingertips. Amen? But I couldn't get, I just couldn't get comfortable. I was like, what is wrong with me? People would give their right arm to be where I am. 
You know, and then I, later on I got a record deal and all kinds of good things seemed to be happening for me. It was like, why can't I get comfortable? Something's not right. I just couldn't do it. Why? Well, the truth is I was wrapped up and entwined and intermarried into my fleshly desires and also all the things that the world would offer me. I had one foot in the church and the truth and one foot in the world. Intermarried, interwrapped up in the world system. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Born and raised in church, but you just kind of... You see what I'm saying? Here's the thing. In spite of Israel's golden opportunity, they did not learn the lesson from the past. There was no lasting change because there was no real repentance. They was going to get wrapped up because their hearts weren't right. Bottom line, real repentance must come from the heart, not just from temporary religious words or temporary religious activity. Your actions can look like repentance for a while, but if it's not from the heart, the actions won't stick. That's just the bottom line. If it's not an inward work of the Holy Spirit, it will not stick. Are you hearing me? So, four quick points about repentance, real repentance. Just take it down. I'm not going to be before you long. Repentance, point number one, repentance is not being sorry that you got caught. This was right in our devotional from February 1st. I took these points right there and I just, just preaching on them. Just done some digging and looked through the scriptures and found like, oh, there's a wealth of a sermon here. Repentance is not just being sorry that you were caught. You sinned, you messed up, and you say, sorry, Lord. But the truth is, it's because you're embarrassed about what you did. <laughs> and your sin found you out and now half Oakland knows what you did. And being embarrassed about it does not produce any lasting change. Because this is really not, this is just really about not wanting everybody to know your business. I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm really just sorry that you know what I did. You have to put me on blast like that. Being sorry because you're embarrassed is not real repentance. That's point number one. Point number two. Repoint, repentance is not just about feeling sorry for your sin. Uh-oh. Think about it. The feelings of sorry don't really last long. They come on strong in the beginning, right? When you first feel the impact of what you've done, amen, and you start to feel guilty. But as the days go by, feelings change. <laughs> Feelings begin to fade. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Day 25. You know what y'all doing? Where we going? Let's do it again. Let's do it again. You know, come to think about that was kind of fun. Feelings. They change. So repentance is not feeling sorry for your sin. Here's the thing, saints. The truth is, is God is holy. And all sin is against a very 
holy God, the most holy God. Without that truth, all you have is feelings and not really reverence. Are you hearing me? And reverence is based on truth. That reverence is based on the truth that, being, that brings a person to an understanding that he's a holy God and he deserves worship. And when you understand that, that will bring you into a lifestyle of worship. That's not a feeling. That's an understanding. Are you hearing me? So repentance is not based on feeling sorry for you saying, oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. It's not it. Number three, this is, dude, this one messed me up. This one messed me up. Repentance is not just taking an action to avoid God's wrath. I'm going to say that again. Repentance, real repentance, is not just taking an action in order to avoid God's wrath. We have a lot of religious systems, even those that claim to be Christian, who base their whole holiness sanctification walk on trying to avoid hell. I'm going to let that sit because I know something that's messing with some of us. Wait a minute, Pastor, that's right. Eh, not quite. How many people know about hell? How many people heard about it? How many people are scared about it? Did that ever stop you from doing it again? You're going to go to hell. Ooh, three weeks later. I didn't go. <laughs> come on, let's think about it. It's the same, come on, Holy Spirit. It's the same thing with Eve. When Satan said, you shall not surely die. And because she didn't surely die on that day, what did she do? Here, husband. Got some fruit for you. Think about it. I'm going to say it again. Repentance is not just taking an action to avoid God's wrath. It is not saying sorry because you don't want to go to hell. There are people who are highly motivated to do what's right because they are trying to avoid experiencing bad results. This does not produce, as we just said, and, and we found out after we did our poll, it does not produce lasting results, lasting change. Because fear may temporarily change your actions for a while, but it does not really change your heart. Are you hearing me? We may have many people in this room or people that we know in certain religious circles, you know, who uh, seemingly live holy or above board lives, morally, and they do it externally. But the focus is about avoiding a certain outcome, not really about pleasing God. That's different. See how subtle that is? A lot of us were brought up in that holiness church and did not love God. Whoa. Holiness is right. But you cannot leave out the love. Come on, somebody. Get that. Be careful. Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. This might produce some change. But it's not change that pleases God. Why? Because the motive is really not pure. The motive is not really pure. I would hate to be with some woman who treated me well because she was afraid of me. 
Could you imagine? We got a lot of women here. Could you imagine? I'll just love you, baby. Why? Because I'm afraid of what you're going to do. <laughs> what kind of relationship? That's not real. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? The motive is not pure. Why? It's still about you and not really about God when you think about it. Here's the thing. I used to give my finances. I still do, but I used to give my finances religiously. Okay? I would just, you know, take down to the nickel. You know, I want to give religiously. But why did I do it? Because I wanted God to bless my career. I did what was right, but for the wrong reasons. What was I trying to do? I'm trying to avoid curses and taxes and all kinds of robbers and muggers and accidents. And I just want to have a good day, God. So here's your money. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? Ooh, let me get the meeting right. Ooh. Okay. 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 We good, God? Religious thinking. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, give all my money just to make sure, you know, I, didn't av- I could avoid certain things. God did not promise that he would bless people who were grouchy givers. He said it's the cheerful giver. Oh, we give only to get. I was doing it right and still doing it. Still giving my tithe, my offering, as we spoke about last week, giving to others. I do that. But my reason's different. Before it was just, I'm just trying to milk you, God. Maybe I pay you for a blessed life. Motive is wrong. Still about you. Not about loving God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. That's not real repentance. Here we go. Number four. Real repentance, as I said before, comes from the heart. The command of God is this. Love the Lord with all your heart. Stop. Stop. Did you hear that? That means repentance, real repentance, is based on a person, not an outcome. Did you catch that? Real repentance is based on a person, not an outcome. Not a certain kind of result that I can figure out for myself. Not a certain result that I'm trying to avoid. Are you hearing me? The word repent indicates a turning away from sin. We know that because I've taught that for years. But it's turning away from sin and turning to a loving relationship with your God. With your whole heart. Not your whole agenda. You see the difference? And Satan would love to get us on this other religious track where we do things for God, not even loving God. For all the wrong reasons. There's no real relationship. It's just, you know, it's a deal, it's a business deal. No, saints, that's not real repentance. I turn from sin 
and I turn to the loving relationship with my heavenly Father who loves me more than I could ever know. I'm returning to love. That's real repentance. Are you hearing me? I hope I'm breaking some things by the Holy Spirit's power today. Hope we're getting free of some things today. Understanding. Amen? Thank you, Lord. So it's not just saying sorry. Amen? It's not just avoiding a certain kind of outcome. Amen? Amen? Not just fear. It, reverential fear, of course, but not just, you know, this thing where I, I'm trying to, you know, avoid certain horrible things. Here's the point. The Lord wants us not to really just be sorry, but he wants us to weep over our sin. Wow. Weep over our sin because it displeases God. It, it, it displeases the one that we love. Are you hearing me, saints? We've have, we have hurt the one we love. We have grieved the Holy Spirit within us. That ought to make us weep. Oh, how could I do this? I love you, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. You see the difference? Okay? It's not just, I'm sorry. Are you hearing me? If you killed your three-month-old baby by accident, would you just get up and say sorry? You feel that one, don't you? Huh? Would you just confess it? Well, I confess my sin. Is it just about confession? I killed my baby, I'm confessing. Done. No. Would it be enough to declare that you would never do it again? I just promise I won't do that again. I stole, I lied, I cheated. I hurt my baby. My three-month-old baby is gone. I did it. But I'll never do it again. We cool now? Is that, is that, does that make sense? Does that register? Something missing from that, isn't it? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Even if it's by accident. No, the real truth is, saints, even if it's by accident, we would weep. You would mourn. You would be deeply affected even by just missing the mark. As sin is. You, I didn't hit the target. I just missed the mark. You would be deeply affected, even if it's just by accident. Listen, saints, the truth is, if we have trespassed on God's wall and gone past his property lines and his boundaries, <laughs> all of us have done it, and we've done that fully well knowing what we were doing. It was not by accident. We did it. We were warned from the church, and we did it. We were cautioned by the word of God, and we did it. We even have consciences that flash like red lights in our minds. Do not trespass against God. And guess what we did? We did it anyway. Didn't we? Not only that, saints, if you're like me, we did it over and over <laughs> and over and over again. We knew it was wrong. Got to the point to where we got numb. I can't even feel you telling me to stop, God. Wow. I'm used to this now. Yes. 
Come on, can, can we just be honest? Can, can we get, can we be real today? We didn't just sin against people. We sinned against God. And all we can do at that point is say, I'm sorry. Well, I declare I'll never do it again. I confess I'm going to do it again. No. We don't do that. We don't do any of these fake versions of repentance. It must be from the heart. Now, let me show you just from Scripture what God desires. Psalm 51 and 17. Psalm 51, 17. It's going to let the Lord lead us and we're going to just go through some word real quick. Then we're going to go back to that Scripture in Ezra. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repented heart, O God. Amen? It's okay. She's all right. She's all right. One more time. It's okay, Grace Face. It's okay, baby. Yeah. All right. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. Amen? But worldly sorrow, repentance that's not real, worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Amen? Psalm 51, 10. Psalm 51, 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Hey, we know this one. Renew, as we say in King James, a right spirit within me. Now, let's look at it again. Renew. Do it over and over and over again, God. Renew. Keep making me new on a daily basis. Keep creating a desire for me to lean on your strength and not my strength on a daily basis. And renew not a right spirit in me. Let's decode that. Renew a loyal spirit in me. I want to be loyal to you. You give me chance after chance after chance after chance. And as soon as I get a little bit of freedom, here I go. Renew a loyal spirit in me. Renew day by day, every day. I'm leaning on you. That's how we do it. Amen. Colossians 3 and 10. Colossians 3 and 10. Put on your new nature. Uh Uh-oh. You do it. You see that? You put on. Your new nature. Your new, did you know that your new nature is available? <laughs> I just want you to know you have it. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, if you have been redeemed, if God is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ you are dependent on, you have new nature. It's available. Put them on. Put them on. Put on your new nature, and here's that word again, be renewed. Huh? Be renewed. Be oh. It's where it hit me. It means to become constant. You see that? To become constant and consistent by the power of the Holy Spirit. Constant. Amen. Daily. I got a track record now of getting better and better and better and better. I'm becoming constant. I'm becoming consistent. You know, sister so-and-so wouldn't do that. Well, I know her. She used to do that. She don't do that no more. Thank you, Doretha. That's right. 
That's right. And be renewed as you learn to know your creator. Here's another part of you that we do, okay? You get in your word. You get in your Bible, you renew your mind, and you get to know more and more about Jesus Christ. You get to know more and more about who he is, how he is, what he expects of you, what he's done for you. Keep looking at Jesus until you become just like him. Are you hearing me? This is real repentance. And one of my favorite, Titus 3 and 5. Oh, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I went a little bit faster, but what I'm trying to explain to you is there's been a regeneration. The Holy Spirit has done something. Amen. And he has done something inside of us, and he saved us not by our own works. Amen? But he has washed us and made us new by his regenerating power, and he's renewing us in the Holy Ghost. This is what's happening on a daily basis. We're becoming more consistent. We are saved, but we are allowing the Holy Spirit to give us the power to stand and to live and to repent on a daily basis, on a regular basis. We see that real repentance backed up by his power. Huh? There's a change heart. But repentance in the heart can only come by being grateful for what Jesus Christ has already done for you. Already done for you. There is, if you're going to plug in repentance from the heart, you got to go to the source. And that is Jesus Christ himself and what he's done. Now, take me back to Ezra uh, 9, 8, and 9. We're going to be done. Ezra, there we go. Mm. I need your Holy Spirit to help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. All right. They are in captivity. They are struggling. They are trying to rebuild. They have sinned. Ezra finds out that everybody has been remarrying or intermarrying into the world. Amen. Other nations and whatever have you. And they're becoming intertwined in the sin and wrapped up in the sin. And Ezra says, now, here's what God has done. And this is the reason why we didn't change, because we didn't notice that we should be grateful for this. We didn't recognize that God has given us, look, and now for a little space, a little time. Grace hath been showed from the Lord, our God, to leave us a remnant to escape. And to give us, underline this word, a nail. A nail. Now. Did a little digging, amen? Did a little digging, and I found out that this nail actually is prophetic. It goes back and talks about, Jer uh, Ezra is actually talking about the nail, not so much as one that just goes in wood. He's talking about a certain person, okay? And he's getting his information from another prophet, Isaiah, Isaiah 22 21 through 25. Let's turn to it real quick. Do we have it? Do we have it? Come on, come on. I hope I get it. Yes, 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 yes. This is the prophecy. I will dress him in royal robes, your royal robes, and give him your title and your authority. Help me, Lord. And he will be a father to the people of Jerusalem and Judah. I will give him the key to the house of David. 
the highest position in the royal court. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. <laughs> when he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. <laughs> he will bring honor to his family name. Amen. For I will drive him firmly in a place like a nail in the wall. I will give him great responsibility, and he will bring honor even to the lowliest of his family members. I will drive him firmly into a place and a wall, like and a nail like a wall. So what he's basically saying, you ever had a nail and you stuck it up in a wall and you can hang things on it? Huh? You can hang a coat on it, you can hang a picture on it, you can hang something heavy. He said, for I will drive him firmly in place like a nail in the wall. Now, Ezra here is really talking about this prophecy from Isaiah 22. It's to give us a nail. Some translations say a peg. And this peg means security. The peg or nail speaks of security of anyone that is depending and leaning on God. Now, some scholars, such as Ironside, believe that this ultimately refers to Jesus Christ himself. Amen. The nail is in the wood is something that's in place which cannot be moved. It's secure. It's steady. You can put everything on it. You can rely on it. You can trust in it. Come on, somebody. This is what God the Father did for us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wasn't Jesus the one that was nailed to the cross? For our sins against God? Woo! Isn't it true that the work of Christ on the cross and his perfect sinless life being given in our place, isn't that the security that we have right now? Forever and ever? Are you hearing me? Now, here's the application. Jesus is being the one who's been driven in the nail. He's the one, he is the nail that's been driven in the wall that we can put our whole entire eternity on. Amen? Amen? Here's this application. This is what I believe that he is saying to us right now in the church. Back to Ezra, 9, 9, 8, and 9. And now for a little space, grace has been showed from our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in this holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us, here it is, a little reviving, as it says in King James. Give us a little reviving in our bondage. Not avoiding it. In it. Saints, we are on this planet right now and we are going through some things, are we not? And it seems like God is not doing anything, but that ain't true. The Holy Spirit is always working, pulling people out of darkness and into the marvelous light. In the midst of this crazy world, God is still saving people. The Israelites sinned against God, and they could not escape the consequences of the past nor the present time. However, there's a temple being set up in Jerusalem while they are under Persian rule. I'm going to say that again. There is a temple of God being set up in Jerusalem while they are under Persian rule. A little reviving, as the Word of God says, in our bondage. The enemy today... 
just like before, is throwing everything he can at some of us. But there's a temple being set up in our bondage. The enemy is trying to get us off track and trying to get us distracted with all kinds of circumstances and issues and problems. But there is a temple being set up in Jerusalem, in the midst of our bondage. The enemy can do whatever he wants to, but the more he tries, the holier we going to live. <laughs> the more trial, the stronger we get. <laughs> the more temptation we experience, the more loyal we become. We may be surrounded by darkness, but the more darkness that we experience, the more light we're going to shine. Are you hearing me? We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The revival is coming, saints. The revival is coming, saints. The revival is coming. But it's starting with you and me. It's starting with God's children first. Are you hearing me? Verse number nine. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage. Huh? He hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the king of Persia. There are times in our bondage where you're going to receive favor from God from some strange people. You're going to receive favor from God in some strange places. People that don't even know God are going to bless you because there's a temple being set up in our bondage. Heathens will come and bless you and take care of you. There's a temple being set up in our bondage. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is to give us a reviving to set up the house of God and to repair the desolations of God thereof. We have work to do in our bondage. We are working on the temple, not in a vacuum, not in peaceful times, but in hard times, in times of tribulation. What's happening, I'm telling you, saints, is he, he's even given us a wall that says here in verse 9, in Jerusalem, in Judah. And that is a wall of protection. That even though it may seem like you're not going to make it, God has built a fortress around you. Woo! You've been, you're going through a lot of stuff, but you ain't going to get hit as hard as you could get hit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's a temple being set up in our bondage. Amen. This is happening because God's plan is sure. He's bringing revival through his people. We are going through some things, and he's using us not because we're wonderful, not because we are worthy, not because we deserve it, but because God is just good, and his mercy endures to all generations. That's just who he is. So here's the thing, saints. He's going to clean us up, and he's going to use us to bring others to him, and he's going to clean them up. So that they will be forgiven and set free and rescued and delivered and given the righteousness of God that they don't even deserve. Just like you and me. This is his plan. But its plan always starts with his children giving him real repentance and doing the work in the midst of bondage. Knowing that God is trustworthy. That his plan is sure. Amen. So here's the thing, saints. We can complain about this world and all the wrong that we see that God is allowing. Or we could take this time to repent of our own sin. Huh? And allow God to use these crazy times to strengthen the believer's resolve. We can complain 
or we can have our resolve strengthened. Amen? Are you hearing what I'm saying, saints? 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14, and I'm done. Real quick. If my people, my people first, <laughs> which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins. And guess what? I'll heal the land. The revival starts with real repentance. The revival starts with God's children first. I'm done. Share this message. Take this message and share this message. People need to hear this message. Amen. Father, we thank you so much.